It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to another episode of Red Shirts and Runabouts, your uh, source on Star Trek news and reviews on the Heroes Podcast Network. I am one of your hosts, Jeremy Munkin, with your other host. Yo, this is Derek. Uh, good evening, everybody. Greg's here. Uh, so with a little bit of a break from our discovery talking that we've been doing for oh the entirety of our show to date... Uh, we decided we would go back to the movies and uh, do a little kind of watch through while we're waiting for Discovery to come back from its winter hiatus. Uh, so we're starting with the first uh, movie, uh, which is Star Trek The Motion Picture from 1979. Uh, what are your guys' experiences with this movie? Well, uh, so I I grew up with Star Trek. That That was huge in my house. So I had the VHSs of the Star Trek movies at a, a very young age. Um, and I distinctly remember that the director's cut of this one came in a special gold box, yellow box, compared to all of the other movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I've been watching this one for most of my life. And this thing did fit on one VHS tape? <laughs> yes, yes it did. Impressive. Yeah. yeah. I remember like what Derek was talking about, the special edition. They had that... I don't know if you guys remember seeing the pictures of it. My family owns one somewhere. It's that special edition VHS set of the first five movies where the cassettes form like the Enterprise. And then when the sixth, okay. then yeah. when the sixth one came out, they just kind of tapped it on there at the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, 30, 35th anniversary box set. I actually have that as well. Unopened, mind you, unopened. Oh, wow. Yes. You got to keep that then. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that my first experience is kind of like Derek. We grew up with it. Uh, I... I very much remember this movie. I don't, it, it's not the most fond memories. Uh, but I, I'll say there's still a scene in the movie that horrifies me to this day with the, the transporter thing. Um, yeah. Like I remember, I remember being a kid, like turning the volume down just because of the noise yeah, that's made, being made. Screaming. And then I'm screaming. I'm like, I thought you were supposed to dissipate the atoms, guys. I'm like, I, 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 <laughs> this is horrible. But yeah, it's a, I at least remember the movie and, you know, I've, you know, we watched it last year when I did that big Star Trek marathon, um, watched, it was, it was at least on in the background. Right. I, uh, I try not to leave it out of my rewatches because I know it, I know it is a little slow and it is definitely long, uh, but I do think it does some things really, really well and we'll get to that. Um, but it, it's a tough one to start with because, you know, you want to kind of hit the ground running. And this really doesn't do that. So, like, I remember once... Woof. No, it does not. Back, back in, <laughs> in high school, uh, towards the... Uh, right after Nemesis came out on a home video, um, I did a 10-movie marathon one summer morning uh, of, of all 10 Star Trek movies. And I started at, like, 5 a.m. or something like that because it was going to take 19-ish hours. 
Um, and starting with that movie, you struggle to stay awake at five in the morning, you know, when you're oh, 17. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, I struggled to stay awake on this watch and I was taking notes and heavily caffeinated. <laughs> Uh, so my perspective on this movie, or my, my experience with it is a little bit different than your, your standard Star Trek podcast host in that I've almost entirely avoided the original series, uh, because I, I watched it at a, at a way too young age to appreciate it. And it was always burnt into my mind as, oh, that's the, that's the boring Star Trek. That's the Star Trek that my dad liked that I could never appreciate. And every time I got a glance at one of these movies, it was always like, just keep flipping it's because it's in it could never be what my my darling star trek was which is the next generation uh so my star trek experience has always been next generation forward uh so this is my first watch of of this monstrosity of a movie that's fair and i think it's it is an interesting one to be introduced to later after you've seen so much other star trek cuz you know yeah. at the time in 1979 keep in mind that trek had been live action off the air for 10 years. Um, it did have, of course, the, the two seasons of the animated series. Um, right. But, you know, Star Wars came out in 77, and you had 2001 A Space Odyssey and uh, Close Encounters and, and things like that. So this was coming in as like a space opera, not a, you know, cowboy show in space like the original series was. This was a very different artistical take. Yeah, I mean, you get... At least I do. You get a lot of 2001 vibes in the film, the way that it was shot and the way it was filmed. Yeah. Because it's not an outright, because in the late 70s, you had obviously the big, the big dog of the house was Star Wars in 77, which took the world by surprise. And you know, that kind of pushed Paramount and Star Trek to get something out there. Mm -hmm. um, well, and that's the crazy thing. If, if they're two kind of source materials for aesthetical choices to make is as far as making a movie goes, they have Star Trek and they have 2001. You'd think they would go more towards, or Star Wars in 2001. You'd think they would more, more go, yeah, gravitate towards Star Wars, uh, given that the appeal of the show has kind of a wider audience. And 2001 was such like a cult hit for them to go so deep into like the art house, uh, you know, long, uh, lingering shots <laughs> on all these models. Well, I think it's the just, idea was, just, was to distance themselves from star wars to show that star trek is not star wars i guess you know <laughs> but the, the 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 long scenes joke i i remember that the commentary that the red letter media group did talking about you know during the introduction of the enterprise with those galactos or excuse me those amazing space shots of the new ship you can like go do your laundry and go get your brakes done and come back and not have missed anything <laughs> well yeah the the first time when when we see the Enterprise, when uh, Kirk and Scotty are taking that tram over to the, the space dock, I think I clocked it as something like 11 minutes of no dialogue, just staring at angles of the ship. Well, yeah, I mean, they had gone from... They had gone from the plastic fish fishing line Enterprise from the TV show to a really gorgeous model, and they were going to show you how beautiful yeah, that model was. 11 minutes... If you compared that to the 44-minute runtime of, like, an episode of Star Trek, that that would be one quarter of an episode of Star Trek just quietly staring at this model. <laughs> yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, now, one thing is, you know, this movie gets a lot of, uh, a, a lot of people, you know, kind of slam on it and things like that. But I do, I do have some statistical 
just financial stuff that I think is really interesting. Um, okay. So the movie, of course, came out in 79. Uh, it grossed domestically just over $82 million in 1979. Wow. Um, and that... What was the that, budget? That was opening... Uh, the budget was only $35 million. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's a big hit. I can see why they made a bunch more, even with this quality of movie. Right? So, it, it was a financial success, number one. Number two, just as a straight comparison. So, Justice League, which is the, the most recent big box office film... Uh. Opened in four thousand fifty-one <laughs> theaters. We're not talking about the movie itself. I, I'm just talking about theaters. Yeah. So Justice League opened in just over four thousand theaters. Okay. Star Trek: The Motion Picture opened in one thousand and two at its widest release. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. So it made eighty-two million uh, domestically, and the most it ever hit was a thousand theaters at the same time. So. It did really, really well from a financial standpoint. It was a December release, so it was a holiday release, um, and it almost tripled it. I mean, it it more than doubled its budget just domestically. And there's there's no statistics for its international release, unfortunately. But right, and that was in an era before you know even small towns had multiplexes. This was mm-hmm. like one screen theaters. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So you know, it's just something to kind of think about. And if if you do if you adjust for inflation. It is the number two grossing Star Trek movie. Yeah, that's bananas. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're going to hit on it a little bit. Don't get me wrong. It is far from perfect, but it was successful. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you bring up Justice League because that was the other movie that I watched today. But we won't go into that. No. So my, my two movies for the day are Justice League and Star Trek The Motion Picture. Very different films. <laughs> yes. So Significantly. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that was just... I, I'm a numbers guy, so... I like some of and that. And that's something kind of interesting if you look at the motion picture. There's, there are some great Star Trek elements in the movie. Well, they it just, introduces the, uh, the, the Klingons that we, we know and love from pre-discovery. Yeah. Like and this even, is the first ridged Klingon. And even the whole, I don't even know if you call Vidra a villain, but even the protagonist or the, excuse me, the antagonist, I guess. Wait, did you, did you say protagonist? Yeah, probe antagonist. There we go. The probe antagonist. Um, but even that, even the the elements of that creature and design is totally Star Trek. You know, the, a lost probe that has developed intelligence because another species finds it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Star Trek's got like five or six other episodes, kind of similar to that. True, and yeah, there's a lot of things that are very foundational um, in this movie to to things that became kind of more bedrock uh star trek stuff is like you you not only have the klingons in their kind of what they looked like through next gen and voyager and all that you also have um kind of the aesthetic of the interior of a klingon ship which is always like filled with smoke and mist as as though there's always one klingon just like vaping slightly off camera (laughs) it's just like that that very distinct look where they have like the the you know Fu Manchu mustaches and kind of the the you know everybody basically looks like Worf and this is this is kind of where they all get that Worf look and the dim red lights everywhere yeah yeah now I will say uh, yes the movie is uh, fairly old at this point but spoiler alert we're going to be talking about plot points and details so <laughs> yes if you haven't seen it yet. This is your opportunity to pause and go watch it. And when you're done in 36 hours, you can come back and (laughs) listen to the episode. 
Oh, it's only a, a brief two and a half hours with about 25 <laughs> solid minutes of, of action and dialogue. Yeah, it it ta- it does feel like a good two day and a half, though. I'm with Derek on this one. <laughs> it, it was rough. Yeah. And I mean, this is this is my first experience with it after, you know, growing up with with so many much faster paced movies and even, you know, Star Wars, which came out a couple of years before it. This feels like it moved at a glacial pace and and glacial place pace plus a really long runtime. So it's kind of like double double pain on that front. Now. So, Jeremy, have you seen the other five original series films? Uh, I feel like. My dad must have had them on at some point, but the only one I remember solidly is uh, The Undiscovered Continent. Country. Country, sorry. (laughs) Undiscovered Country, and even that one is a little bit foggy, obviously. Okay. For for a half second, I I couldn't tell if you were making fun of us. Yeah. No. And just seeing if we were going (laughs) to... I paused. I paused. Uh, Now the the original series era is just a, a big blind spot for me. Trek-wise. Okay. All right. Well, uh, for those who don't know, the movie was nominated for three Academy Awards. It did not win any. <laughs> for, for like, prop making? or uh, Certainly not for acting or writing. No, it, it was uh, Best Art Direction, yeah, Best Effects, Visual Effects, and uh, Score, Best Original Score by Jerry Goldsmith. So, Yeah, those, those are the three strongest aspects of this movie, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, so let's dive into it. So, of course, you know, the movie starts off, and we uh, we get to see the pajamas that they wear in outer space now. Uh, well, first we have three warbirds needlessly attacking a cloud with no explanation for why they're just launching torpedoes. Oh, yeah, I guess if you want to start at the very beginning, yeah, yeah. yeah. With uh, Mark Leonard, who played Sarek, as the Klingon that we get to see. Yeah. Which is weird. Um yeah, why why do you think the Klingons fired torpedoes at a cloud? I don't know, and they everyone like they didn't look like they were at battle station. They they were moving so slowly. That was the strangest thing. It was like, is this like a research uh you know, excursion for the Klingons that they're just kind of slowly and ponderously flying after this cloud and then just like, oh, launch torpedoes. It's like, uh, okay, why? I felt like the cloud was chasing them and they were already at like top speed or something. Huh. The cloud, which in in the cut that I watched said that was 82 astronomical units. Yeah. Which would be the entirety (laughs) of the solar system. It is huge. Uh, That is a lot. It's a lot of inches. But yeah, I I was reading the, like, fun facts, and it said that in the director's cut, they dropped that down to two AUs. (laughs) Probably a wise decision. Yeah. Uh, That's funny. It's like that one, one of the original cuts for Prometheus when the the ship in that one aliens movie they're like oh it's 500 million miles from earth i'm like that's not far away at all right <laughs> i'm like we could we could get there <laughs> i'm like did they mean like five million light years but just add, no, just add a few miles. zeros it's, it'll make it yeah, look like a big zero. number and so in this case we, we had to take a couple au's away from the creature yeah i'm pretty sure if a creature can just destroy sector zero zero one we shouldn't screw with it yeah. I do like how Star Wars in the expanded universe came out with an in-universe explanation to explain the 12 parsecs thing Hey, it's how close they get to the uh, the, the black holes, man. <laughs> yeah, that's not what we're talking about, guys. Come sorry, on. sorry. Redirect, redirect. Other podcast. Um, all right. But yeah, then then we see their their weird pajama onesie beige beige on beige on beige uniform change. Except for Browns Kirk. And beige. Kirk, of course, gets a special one. 
Uh, well, Kirk, actually, Kirk changes I, between three different ones over the course of the movie. <laughs> he goes, true. he goes from that like light blue, powder blue uh, thing with the long sleeves to the one that Sulu is wearing, which is like the little, like you know, red boy. Like the, me- <laughs> like, the medical sc- scrubs, basically. Well, no, there's there's the one where it's like uh, a tiny little onesie, like like a cabin boy little uniform, where it's like just barely above the bicep and like, but the deep V in the front. Yeah. Well, it was the 70s, so you got to have the deep V, and Shatner's got to show off the guns. Well, and that was the yeah, amazing thing when Bones showed up for the first time. He had that big, like, Dave Letterman beard, and, and a, <laughs> a, it, it looked like a John Travolta, like, funk outfit and a big gold medallion. Now, so, I just want to point out, David Letterman has a Bones beard, all right? Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll give you that one. That's fair. But I mean, but then, yeah, even... It- even when you had Spock on Vulcan, though, he kind of had the shaggy Beatles hair. That's true. That's so true. And, like, there's no context. So you go into this movie, you have no idea where he is or why he's there. Right. It looks like he got beamed out of, a like, Studio 51. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe he did. Maybe the, maybe that's a, they maybe they put this movie together so quickly they didn't have time to change their hair or their beard. But, uh, yeah, so the, the cloud just zaps these Klingon ships... So right. they, they hit it with torpedoes and it fires back with these energy bolts that, uh, just completely disintegrate their ships stem to stern. Then, uh, there's the space station which scans it and then it hits them with energy bolts and disintegrates them stem to stern. And that sad little floating spaceman who's just like out and about around the, <laughs> the solar array and then they just watch as it, it's just like a little toy and you can see him bounce off the camera. That it's like just on a fishing wire. Yeah, but that poor that poor person is stuck floating in space until they suffocate. Nah, they got him. Or the the electrical thing zapped him so? too. You think? Well, because they they show another shot of it and it's just an empty screen. So mm-hmm. yeah, it just goes past the camera or is gone. I just had to satisfy my curiosity. If you Google the motion picture. It immediately says 81% of Google users like this movie, and Roger Ebert gave it a 3 out of 4 stars. Ooh. Wow. There must not have been a lot else going on that year. <laughs> uh, it's got a 6.4 on IMDb, but a 48 uh, on Metacritic. <laughs> so. <laughs> it is rated G, however, um, which is interesting, because I believe none of the other ones are below a PG. Hmm. So. I could I mean, be wrong about that. I can see that, like, the raciest moment in the movie is where uh, Ilya, like, materializes in the sonic shower and you see, like, a silhouette. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But that's about as, as bad as it gets. And then she has to wear the, the shortest robe for the rest of the movie? Yes. <laughs> Party robe. So, how, how do you feel about that big Enterprise introduction scene with Kirk and Scotty on that little pod? Took way too long. I mean... Good on him for for making that detailed of a model, and it looked cool, and I was happy that they panned around it. But it was, you know, do that in three minutes instead of eleven minutes. It just took forever. I'm with Jeremy. It just it's so long that the value of it eventually just starts to go. Like I I start forgetting, or I stop caring what I'm looking at. Part of me wants to find a way to loop it, and then burn a copy of it to give to someone be like no you really need to watch this and just have it go on and on yeah <laughs> well i mean it it felt like a prank when i was watching it i was like 
no, this can't still be going. And then I like scrubbed ahead a few minutes and then I just looked and as far as I could see on the, you know, quick scrub on Hulu, it was just different angles of the model. And it's like, it's not that detailed. It's like, it's cool, but you know, the longer we spend on it, the more it looks like a big toy that someone is pointing a camera at. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you guys. Um, they did some green screen work, you know, putting Kirk and Scotty in the pod, which is pretty cool. And it does showcase uh, the score, which ends up being, you know, the Star Trek score yeah. that you know, TNG uses. So if anything, if this movie gives us anything, it gives us that. Yeah. I mean, and and as we get to the Enterprise, we also get the... Obviously, the templates for uh, Riker and Troy with, uh, what are their names? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, with we, Commander Decker and... Commander and, uh, Will I, uh, Decker instead of Commander yeah. Will Riker and uh, <laughs> Ilya. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Because uh, So, what a lot of people may not know is that this movie was actually an adaptation of the pilot for Star Trek Phase Two right. that was never picked up. And she was supposed to be a, a regular member of the cast for that show, and uh, Leonard Nimoy had been in talks for it, but had backed out and kind of did a, a little bit of back and forth. Um, and they they had it written, and they had shot a lot of it. There were sets and things like that. So they basically took a script that was meant for like an hour episode and extended it into like a two-hour and 15-minute movie. <laughs> right, and if, if that's what you're working with, make it an hour-and-a-half-long movie. Like, that's not an unreasonable amount of time for a movie. Yeah, and they, they had episodes written. So uh, when The Next Generation hit the writer's strike, they were actually able to use a lot of these Phase 2 scripts to get episodes on TV. Yeah, I was reading in the uh, IMDb fun facts that the the one where Troy gets pregnant that everybody hates is yeah. is one of those scripts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you I know, just watched that last weekend. <laughs> nice, like, not the best episode. Yeah. <laughs> Problematic, to be sure. That's funny. Um, so do we do we know why Spock left um, the Federation? The idea was that he wanted to complete. Um, the colonar. Thank you. Yep, the colonar and, you know, purge all emotion. That was his idea, is that he was going to go through and do all that. So he's been gone for a couple of years. But, and... is, I mean, is this movie where they introduce that, or is that something that you see at the end of, like, the animated series? Neither. Oh, okay. So this is beta canon stuff, essentially, that is flavor text to fill in the gaps. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, that's right. In Star Trek, we don't just have canon; we have beta canon. That is a canon designed <laughs> on beta. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what he is up to, and I guess we're supposed to believe that he senses something, and that's why he leaves. Right, um, and yeah, of course, comes back. Um, which is which is certainly a trend we see a lot in Discovery. Is is weird uh, plot appropriate mental signals being picked up by by Vulcans. Even though well, ne- she's not a Nimoy, Vulcan. Yeah. No, she's not. <laughs> yeah. She's not. Kirk's not. V'ger's not. Uh, V'ger. But, um, Nimoy, this was a part, a time in his life, of course, where he was very conflicted about the character of Spock. As people know, he, he ended up writing that book, I Am Not Spock, and then later wrote I am Spock. And so this was a, a tough character for him to, to live with. And so his deal, he didn't want to come back. 
to do anymore. Um, and so the deal he made with Roddenberry and, and Paramount was that he wanted Spock to have some type of unique arc that wasn't, you know, solely focused on the Enterprise mission. Well, and he was in the process of suing Paramount for royalties when they started filming this movie. And they had a completely different character that they had written Spock out, but they agreed to bring him back on and settled the lawsuit. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and that character would have taken his spot on the show in Phase 2 if that had become a thing. So they had a contingency plan. He had a contingency plan. And obviously he stuck around and has been in more Star Trek than any of the original series characters. So, But that was sad. You see that, like... Kirk apparently loves having Vulcans as science officers, and there's like this bright-eyed young Vulcan who he slaps on the back as he's uh, heading to the Enterprise, and he does not make it. He gets no, caught no. in the I'm, I'm, transporter. I'm I'm still scarred, and it's been thirty years. Yeah, that Look, was... we can't have we can't have two Vulcans on our ship. All right, we get one. Right, one at a time. We get one Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just go look? I'm not accepting the assignment. Do we really have to have him turned inside out by a transporter? Right. Uh, <laughs> and and for him to be so, like, flippant about it, he's just like... I mean, not flippant, but he's just like, well, Starfleet, this is Kirk. Uh, send condolences to their family. Well, what else is on the list for today? Let's keep let's keep this wagon train <laughs> moving. I mean, to be fair, he's an admiral at this point. He's been a captain for... You know, he's been doing this his whole life. He was a lieutenant on the Farragut, captain of the Enterprise, now he's an admiral. He's lost people under his command. Um, I, I think you just get to a point where you have to try your best to shrug it off. Yeah. You know, otherwise you can't do your job and you're, you're, you end up being paralyzed, but you're the leader. I mean, he's on the ship to, to basically steal his job back from Decker. Yeah, and that's that's the other part of it where it's just like, Sorry, Decker, I'm here now. And then it's like, sorry, Decker, the science officer's dead. You're the science officer now. It just feels like Decker just keeps getting knocked around. And then Spock comes on board. Right. So Decker, now, now you're just a consultant. Yeah. The poor <laughs> dad well, from Seventh Heaven. During, yeah, the dad from Seventh Heaven. And during the accident that killed the, the scientist, that killed that other woman, who, according to the novelization, was actually a rear admiral. What? Ooh, so, really? Yeah. I did not know that. And, and I believe it's memory beta that says that it literally, they died by being turned inside out. I'm just like, let's scatter the atoms, guys. I remember screaming that when I was like six or well, seven. I'm like, Come Yeah, on, and that was the disturbing thing when the, the voice <laughs> coming back from Starfleet was like, they didn't lo- live very long. What came back for, for the best? Yeah. It's like, oh, geez, come on, guy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no wonder Barkley doesn't <laughs> want to be transported. Like, he probably watched this movie. <laughs> right? Well, and, and Bones, of course, comes off as kind of being crazy because he doesn't want to use the, the transporter. And Kirk's like, ha, 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 he's so silly. Yeah. Like, people died in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> How dare he be afraid of that thing that we saw gruesomely mutilate two people a minute ago. Right? Right? <laughs> you know, and of course, Galaxy Quest makes fun of this scene with the big warthog creature. Uh, being turned inside <laughs> yeah. of the transporter, right? But then it's funny because it's a giant warthog creature right. that explodes on everybody. But this was like dark. This was—I mean, how did that get a G rating? I don't know. Well, and then for for Kirk to go, can we get another Vulcan? It's just like, what are, are they just replaceable to you? It's, it's like vaguely racist. 
It is, right? Like, I get that it's him trying to hold on to Spock being on the bridge with him. Right. Like, from a personal level. But it, it does come off as really racist. Like, like get me another know, it, token vulture. Right? Like, it's, I guess, you know, it's, it's that, you know, mysterious positive racism where we only want the Vulcan because they're good at this job, right? Right? <laughs> Problematic. Oh, Problematic indeed. So how do you feel about Decker, though? I mean, this is his ship. Uh, I feel like I don't know him and am not thoroughly enough introduced to him to care about anything that he says or does. He kind of is presented by the film as as this character that like we're supposed to care about but it's like uh, who are you what's your what's your deal and they they never kind of like as 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 languidly as they leave the camera on the the whole of the enterprise i feel like none of that time is used to just introduce us to these new characters well and it, it, with him the relationship between him and ilea and you know just to throw it out there i know michael collins the actor his reputation is understandably tarnished right now but uh, his relationship with uh, Lieutenant Ilea, they kind of hint at the entire movie. And they talk about the stuff in the past, and they kept alluding to, oh, humans and Deltons can't be close together because of whatever. I remember that was one interesting thing in the movie. I was like, I want to see more of whatever they're talking about, because that was kind of a mature topic for Star Trek at the time. I mean, they always joked about the sex thing with Kirk. Yeah. But this is the whole about, oh, humans and Deltons... uh you got to avoid being in a relationship with them because, I don't know, the sex might kill you or something. I'm like, what? Well, and she comes on the bridge <laughs> and she just uh, stares Kirk dead in the eyes and said, I've taken a celibacy pledge and walks right past him. And it's just like, oh, yeah. wow, Kirk has a has a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> Even on the Delta yeah. planet. Like, I, I like how that had to be stated, right? Okay, so this species is irresistible to humans and some other species. So, so she has to take a celibacy pledge. Because otherwise, she'll just have sex with everybody right on the bridge. Well, the the fun facts <laughs> I was reading in the IMDb said that they release like a, a hyper pheromone that yeah. that make everyone insanely lustful towards them. And then I also said, saw that in the original version of the script, uh, I, th- I think it's um, Chekhov. Uh, Chekhov stands up awkwardly, and the reason he stands up awkwardly is because he gets a boner. Like that was in awesome. the script. <laughs> Wow, wow. Well, did he take a celibacy pledge? Because I think that's uh, that's significant here, so... Probably not. <sighs> it's awkward. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, but we do see some... Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I love how lazily uh, the, the characters of, of Riker and Troy are adapted from these two. Because you have Will Decker, who becomes Will Riker, and then you have a four-letter alien woman who goes from being from Delta to being from Beta. So it's just like, it's just like a slight shift for both of them. Oh man, that is really funny. I've never really thought about it that way, but that is pretty hilarious. Well, and ta- even talking about those two characters, it kind of gives you an example of how this movie has very weird pacing. Cause it goes from, you know, dramatic introducing the enterprise to kind of horrific with the science officer and rear admiral melting to kind of introducing Ilea, who's going to this whole sexual thing, to then more boring. And then it's like the movie is just so jarring with the way stuff happens. And it, I always felt like even the, the older I get, I'm like, it's almost moved. This is one of those movies that feels like there's like five different directors in the yeah. chair. Well, it, I mean, it's notorious for having been like rewritten while they were shooting so many times. So it's probably like just kind of a whim of the day as to kind of what emotional tone any given scene would set. 
Yeah, because they were, there's even commentary out there that part of the sets that, like even the, the V'ger set or pro, uh, model was still under construction when they were using the prop to film. Right, and it was so big that they were shooting on one end of it while they were building it on the other end. Pretty funny. That's why the shot takes so long, because they had to wait for the guys to finish it as they were <laughs> right. painting across. Instead uh, of just waiting to shoot until the next it. day, they just slowly <laughs> panned. Um, but no, there's a lot of weirdness to this movie. Like, I get that Kirk is supposed to be out of touch, because he's been behind a desk now that he's Admiral. But, like, some of the changes made to the Enterprise seem to be really obnoxiously apparent and out of place. Like, when they have the whole wormhole scene. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, they brought the phasers through the engine? (laughs) Right? What is the point of that? Delay that that order! You know, like, why are we... Why? Why did they do that? Well, that whole wormhole (laughs) sequence was unbearable. It was just, like blurs and sound things that was that was another point where i was i was scanning ahead i was like how long is this going to take oh my god it's like another 10 minutes of this but you gotta watch everyone <laughs> shaking in slow motion and you know you know it's just wonderful well, and i just i feel so bad for every every bad thing anyone said about abrams and his lens flares that i feel like they had like vaseline wiped over the lens of every camera in this because like Every shot that's a close-up on Kirk, everything else is blurred around him. And it's just like everything is shot in like smudge smudge cam. But that's that's Shatner view. You know? That's Shatner, <laughs> Shatner vision. doesn't, Shatner doesn't vision. want to look ten years older than the last time he was in Star Trek vision. I mean, basically, yeah. Welcome to Star Trek The Motion Picture featuring Shatner vision. And w- one thing before we get <laughs> too far away from Paramount. it, uh, there was something that shocked me when Kirk first gets onto the bridge. There are people completely covering every surface of the bridge, working on the Enterprise to f- finish the refit. Uh, and there is someone working in an upper level, like duct, and they're standing on a hover platform that looks at about one foot in diameter. That is the unsafest thing I have ever seen. Cause she was probably elevated about five, five feet off the ground, but just delicately perched on this tiny little circle of metal. It's like there needs to be a handrail or a harness. That's just. Irresponsible. Well, it's the future, so her feet are magnetized. Right, so if she trips, she just dangles and hits her head <laughs> on the panel. It's the same thing with, like, the Death Star gunners on that rail when they're firing the the, 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 the Death Star right. cannon. And All just no I railing. want <laughs> is a railing. All I want is a yeah. railing. They said we'd be leaning all day. Um, <laughs> well, also, so this is the Enterprise, which is under construction, is the only Federation starship in the solar system. That seems like where are all the ships? Why isn't anything kept at home? Like what if what if the Zindi well, that's, comes that's just Star Trek. There there is never any other ship in any sector anywhere nearby, right? Like that's just a Star Trek trope. It's the same Star Trek Generations issue where the only ship in range, right? What? Right? You're you're like by Pluto. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me if the Borg just showed up right now, we're screwed. I know. Like okay. how is how is that not like? A Klingon could just warp straight to Earth and just be like, this is ours now. Get out. Right? Like, I mean, look at, look at, uh, I mean, Jeremy, you haven't watched Star Trek IV yet, The Voyage Home, but it's the same idea, right? Of course, the Enterprise crew, they're the only ones who are not affected by this particular thing, and so they'll save the day. Yeah. I feel like, how many times does the Earth need to be imperiled where you just keep, keep a home ship? Just like, <laughs> keep a home ship. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's great. I mean, the search for Spock at least has the Excelsior. Mm. 
Yeah, they got something. There's something else in space dock. Yeah, but of course that's experimental too, so it's not really ready to go either. Well, and that's the other thing. The um, what is it? The Epsilon Nine, uh, which is the the space station that uh, gets hit by the whatever cloud V'ger. Um, it's at the beginning communicating with a ship called the Columbia. Um, so clearly there was another ship within range of communication of that space station. Like, where's the Columbia? What's, what is happening? You both mentioned it, but there's two actors in the, sh- in the movie that were supposed to be start part of Star Trek Phase 2. Because it was the Vulcan, and I think it was the commander of that Epsilon station was supposed to be like a commanding officer for Phase hmm. 2. Hmm. I didn't know that. That's interesting. I got I got to go research it again, but I'm fairly certain that's the case. It was like Command- Commander Brack or Brock or something like that was supposed to be on Phase 2. Now, when I say Brack, I think of Cartoon Network. I'm not talking about that Brack. I'm talking about Star Trek Brack. Commander Brack and Lieutenant Zorak. (laughs) There we go. Um, But yeah, we... Uh, So, after the the transporter malfunction, we move on. Like, Kirk gathers everyone onto this recreation bridge, which apparently is just completely empty. It's like a big, like, ballroom with with nothing going on. And it looks like a cargo hatch. Uh, but they effectively watch a scene from earlier in the movie, which is pretty funny because it's, they just watch the, the electro ball taking out the Klingon ships one by one. And it's like, who was recording that? It's like, that's just as, it's like, and here we see earlier in the film, three Klingon warbirds destroyed. Well, it's like the movie Spaceballs, you know, people take it as a Star right. Wars parody, <laughs> but they've got Star Trek's numbers too. You know, we're looking at now. Everything you're watching now is happening now. Yeah, it's happening now. <laughs> and I'm sorry, it was Commander Branch, Branch. from Epsilon 9, not Commander ah, Black. Okay. And I love it as they were panning over the crew uh, as they're gathered on that recreation deck. There's a kid with, like, frizzy hair. He looked probably, like, 18 or 19, and he had, like, severe acne. It's like, we don't see a lot of that in Star Trek. Just people with bad skin. The, the motion picture is very inclusive. Right. Of greasy, so. greasy nerds. But that was, that was another yeah. thing in the fun fact where it was listing a bunch of people that were like writers for the original series and, and like fan club members that just got thrown into that, that scene. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was a big production. This was a big deal. I mean, Star Trek coming back, this was supposed to revitalize the franchise. Yeah. There's even an Andorian yeah. in that scene, but like not many yeah. other aliens, just Andorian. There's, I think there were a couple Vulcans. You know, yeah. But... Then one guy with just a big forehead. Uh, so, Okay. So here's a question. So the ship, of course, looks very different because of the refit. Do you think they should have just ignored that and just made it a different looking ship and just made people assume it was the same ship? Or do you think the refit makes sense? I mean, it would have made sense if they were building new sets for for an ongoing Phase 2 project, but for a new film that kind of just needed to get to it, I don't think... I mean, they could have just said, here's here's the new ship, let's go. The, the whole, like, lingering on Earth and the refit and the the conflict with Decker, none of it felt integral to the actual plot. It all just felt like like a remnant of a script for a premiere of a new show. Yeah, I mean, the refit, because if you compare because they're talking about, the, essentially the refit is explaining why the Constitution class looks like this in the show, and now it looks like this. Right. And it's it's like with the Klingons. It's what it's the vision they had now that they have got money or a movie a right. movie budget and better technology. But I'm with Jeremy. What they should have just said is, "Here's the Enterprise. Uh, it's it's been upgraded. The upgrades are finished three years ago. 
and the crew is three-year veterans on the new five-year mission or something. I mean, the entire first 50 minutes of the movie, and I was, I was checking the timestamp, uh, is they don't even leave the solar system until like the 55-minute the mark, and all we do is kind of portray Kirk in a negative light where he gets into these conflicts with Decker where Decker's right. So we just kind of see Kirk as this out of touch jerk and we see the, the enterprise kind of vaguely malfunction and go into a wormhole with a rock in it. It's just like, none of this matters and none of this really brings us any more clarity or, or progress in, in the actual mission that is the stories that is the movie's plot. It's just all of this kind of like, well, why are we? Why are we here? What are we doing? Let's just get to it. Yeah, you compare it to 2009 Trek, where the Enterprise like the newest ship, but they don't waste any time with the with the bullcrap refit rebuild. They're like, it's our newest ship. It's right. Badass. Just throw on new letter after the 1701, and boom, new Enterprise. Well, so something that's that's kind of interesting though is you know, we talk about how Kirk, you know, starts off and he's he's really a jerk to Decker through a good chunk of the movie. And so, you know, maybe it seems like, well, he's supposed to grow as a character, but he really just gets everything he wants in the end. He gets Spock back, he gets his ship back, he gets Decker out of the way, he gets to save the planet. And he just lists Decker as missing. It's like he doesn't even say, Decker saved everyone. He's just like, and Decker was lost in space. I mean, he gets he gets to save the day and be the hero, and he learns nothing from this adventure. Yeah. You know, you know what the scary thing is? We're talking about the motion picture. We barely touched on whatever kind of plot exists, and we're forty minutes into the podcast. Right? Uh, because the the the, mo- the movie is disjointed like that, though. There's so much crap that happens that's unimportant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you cut forty minutes out of that movie. I think it's a better film. You cut an hour and ten minutes out of that movie, and it's a, a you know C minus episode at best. Well, that's that's kind of what it was, though, right? It was a pilot for a new show, and pilots are never amazing. Yeah. So, especially back then, of course. So that's what it was supposed to be. Um, so I guess if we if we want, you know, because we are, you know, 40 minutes in, maybe if we jump ahead a little bit. So they find V'ger. Right. They 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 finally come into contact with this uh, either 82 or 2 astronomical unit-wide energy cloud that they've seen blow up three Klingon ships and one Federation starship. And they, and Kirk just says, let's fly into it. Let's f- just fly the ship straight into it with, with all hands on deck. And, uh, Decker's rightfully like, what is to be gained from that? S- give me, give me some kind of explanation as to why we would do that. Like, and he says, like, this is unwarranted. And Kirk's just like, now we're doing it and, and dives right in. Because, you know, Spock has a feeling. Spock, this guy who just kind of showed up on what they said was like a courier ship. And they're just like, uh, there's someone docking. Oh, it's our new science officer who's, you know, has weird, crazy hippie hair. And it just like showed up. Has been laying in the desert on right. Vulcan for years. So, you know, and we know Kirk Kirk loves Vulcan. By the way, so here but, he goes. But let's say this. Uh, Spock doesn't know anything about the Enterprise refit either, just right. like Kirk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's there's no awkward scenes of him being like, "Huh, the science station has changed," and I know somebody's going to hand wave it out there. He's a Vulcan; he learns faster. <laughs> that's not, the, that's not the point. The point is, he's half human, and the movie. That, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop ranting because the movie still just doesn't make any sense, and it's been 
It's coming up yeah. 32 years. Spock and Kirk each have their own tropes. Kirk's trope is, you know, charge full steam ahead. Let's bring the Enterprise right in and everybody's fine. Spock's thing is just to figure shit out right. immediately. But, and then there's that weird cutaway where after Spock gets on board, they kind of talk and then they come back and Kirk and, uh, Sulu are wearing their, their sporty little, little jumpsuits for some reason. It's like we have no idea why they changed clothes suddenly. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's, should, should we take a moment here to talk about how awful all these uniforms are? I mean, we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but they're just so beige and blue and like. I do, I do uh, actually like Kirk's Admiral uniform, the two-tone one. Yeah. I like that one, personally. I mean, it's still nothing compared to the, the red stars and pips and, and all, all the things we see in the future. Of course. No, no, no. The, the ones you get later are better. But the belt, the uh, the belt buckle, the beltless belt buckle. Yeah, I was uh, thinking those were going to do something. They're so, so, like, thick. In the novelization, they do, like, monitor biometric readings and stuff like mm. that. So they're supposed to like serve a function. They're they're you know checking your heart rate and, and things like that. But the From movie doesn't <laughs> the movie doesn't address them at all. So they're just beltless buckles. Yeah. So by that means with the biometric readings while Ilea's on board, they're off the charts then. Because if she puts off those weird pheromone things, <laughs> there we go. Maybe her vow of celibacy tones that down. That, that must be why they just totally ignore them because they're useless at that point. <laughs> well, and not only do they all have these like big trucker belt buckles, but they have these super thick uh, wrist communicators that they wear upside down like a like a Fitbit. <laughs> so Spock's always yes. talking to the underside of his wrist. He is. That's true. So okay. So speaking of Spock, how did so he mind melds with the exterior door of V'ger, I guess the sphincter. Right? Like, I mean, he's not mind-melding with the satellite that turns out to be V'ger. Right. Spoiler, he, the V'ger is Voyager. Which, and and this the joke from Futurama finally makes sense where they, the episode... Oh, the V'giny? V'giny, yeah. Oh, man, I love that episode. That's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, it's a great episode. Uh, By the way, this one episode of Futurama is better than the motion picture. Yes. Just FYI. And, and hits all of the same plot points in under 30 minutes. I mean, pretty much, yeah. In, in 22 minutes. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, so what is, what is Spock mind melding with? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an electronic device that fell through a black hole and wound up on a robot planet, another Futurama thing, and was sent back towards Earth with data that it was programmed to collect and somehow also collected weird energy and biomass and, and robot sphincters and all this nonsense. And See, I, like, I think it landed on Cybertron. Oh, so, so maybe it, has, it merged with the AllSpark. Yeah, and then that's where the Borg come from. So the Transformers created the Borg. Yeah, so Optimus Prime is really dropping the ball again then. Where the hell are you, man? <laughs> Um, actually, so, okay, there is a uh, another novel, not the novelization of, of this movie, but there's another novel, so it's beta canon, that V'ger is the origination of the Borg. Yeah, I can see that. Now, Kirsten Beyer, uh, who is writing what most people consider to be Voyager Season 8, um, she's helming the Voyager books, and they are phenomenal, if you're a Voyager fan, by the way. She is fantastic. And she's also a writer on Discovery now. Yeah. She, uh, I think she wrote episode nine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, she, she's got a whole different origin for the Borg. So, you know, 
beta cannon conflicts with beta cannon now, so. Well. I don't even, I don't even know what that results in. Yeah. <laughs> Gamma cannon? I, I have but, no idea. I have no idea. But, and again, I hate to even say it, but the scene you're even referring to when Spock, Spock is mind-melding with V'ger, it's supposed to be like a really dramatic part of the movie. But again, it's just so boring. Yeah. I'm like, even when he's flying through V'ger, which all, I mean, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. All the sexual innuendos with all the imagery in that thing. I get it. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's entering another life form. I get it. It's fine. Still rated G. <laughs> it, it's it just is. so boring. I mean, there's so much cool stuff they could have done. But then again, also, but like Jeremy said, or Derek, you, you both said it. You get a 10 minute scene introducing the Enterprise. You get a 10 minute scene in a wormhole. You get a 15 minute scene of Spock flying into V'ger. I'm like, just, Remember Monty Python? Get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there was there. So another thing in the in the trivia for this episode, apparently it was a big um, kind of marching order for them to not do any combat stuff because they didn't want to seem like they were trying to to ape uh, Star Wars. Um, so we see just these energy blasts, uh, completely ace three Klingon ships and a Federation uh, space station, but. The Enterprise gets hit with one, even though they don't attack it or scan it, and they just kind of eat eat it. It just turns green, and their shields take it, and somehow the entire energy blast gets channeled into just Chekhov's hand. It's like that's the only damage done to the entire shi- ship is just electrical current that burns his hand, and then he gets a little rash. It's so weird. Well, that's so that's that's a a common thread for Chekhov in the movies. Is he just gets beat up? It's like <laughs> divert all damage to Chekhov's terminal. What? <laughs> he does. He gets so beat up, especially in the first two films. He really gets beat up in the first two movies. Poor Chekhov. Yes. So you know, Rathacon is pretty much a horrible two hours for him. It is. It's a rough time. It's a rough time. Yeah. Also, around this point, we see uh, Ilya get get zapped. Because there's a, a just beam of energy that's crackling and and hits every terminal and takes an interminable amount of time. It's like five minutes that this beam of energy is just zapping each person in the crew and each person's terminal. And then when it hits Ilya, she just disappears and drops her thing. And uh, <laughs> that's when Decker, instead of mourning the loss of his like former lover and, and crewman, uh, just goes... That's what I meant by unwarranted and like storms off. It's like, well, that's such a, like a, he's just like making a point. It seems so shallow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to admit for years, I actually thought Ilea attacked the thing because the way they film her getting zapped, it looks like she's almost like karate chopping the light beam. <laughs> Attack the light. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, why would you do that? And then I watch it again as I get older. I'm like, oh, no, I'm just an idiot. But, but she was also holding a scanner, like so maybe it was responding to that. I almost wish they would have just skipped the entire Ilya thing with her t- with Viger taking it over and have the light beam be like, oh, wait, these are the people that created Viger. Uh, I know how to speak English now or something. I scanned the computer banks. Yeah. Like, that would have been infinitely more interesting. I don't know. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Nothing would have made it more interesting. Yeah, the, the Ilya robot having kind of hidden memories of... Uh, Decker had had kind of a weird. I mean, it was it was like a C plot where they were trying to make this kind of emotional connection, but Bones also scanned her and straight up said, "No, this is a robot. This isn't Ilya. It just looks <laughs> like Ilya." And Decker, I actually think it's a D plot because the C plot is Spock trying to find pure logic. True. I so. I also love how they're at the at the beginning of the movie they're like 
doing this big ceremony to give him this pendant that, like, you know, shows that he's achieved pure logic. And then when he, you know, zones off for a second, they just go, nope, your human blood screwed you up. And then they just drop the pendant on the ground. It's like, is that not an artifact of the Vulcan people that you were, like, em- embracing and-, and giving to him? And you just throw it at his feet. It's like, you can still have it. That's from Ikea. Yeah, we we have a bunch of these. These don't mean anything. <laughs> we got we got 3D printers now. It doesn't right. matter. It's, okay. it's illogical to give value to a, a small trinket such as this, but we still use it because it's we have a bunch in the warehouse. So uh, so of course, then at the end of the movie, we meet Viger, who is Voyager, the satellite lost in space. That became self-aware and wanted to meet its maker, which of course would be long dead. Right, it's Voyager Six, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Which I there isn't a Voyager Six, if I recall. <laughs> not I not they, yet. Yeah, not <laughs> yet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure NASA's written that one off of their potential list of satellites. Do yeah. not launch Voyager Six. Like when yeah, Derek's going to get a job at NASA. He's like, all right, we're not doing Voyager Six, guys. Just no. skip it and go right to seven. We're going to change after five. We're going to go into letters. Voyager A. Be uh, so okay. So of course, you know, Kirk goes up there and he starts smudging away dirt, right? And he spells, Space he's dirt. spelling the name out to us. You know, V O Y Voyager. Dun dun dun. Star Trek Voyager, the prequel. Uh, how how did you guys feel about that big reveal? Uh, I mean, so it. It's definitely spoiled it for me, that episode of Futurama. I kind of got the joke ahead of time. Also, the captions, because I was watching it with captions on. Uh, and before they ever said V'ger, uh, it, it said, like, V'ger makes loud noise. I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it if if they're able to access whatever, like, purpose data banks Voyager has nowhere in those files does it say the rest of the letters like they only got that information from a dirty plate on the front of it it's like right it's like do the work you lazy robot planet <laughs> well and i think <laughs> lazy that's, autobots that's what jeremy's hinting at is what i agree is what i my same uh thought process with him is i didn't mind introducing the whole voyager probe falls into a black hole whatever kind of garbage happens and it gets absorbed by a machine race but if this machine race is so powerful and intellectually advanced that it can basically create an entire civilization around this space probe, you think they would have picked up some information from the probe to be like, huh, this mission might be kind of ridiculous. It, has, it appears to have been from Earth for like 300 years by now. Right. I, it, it, well, and there's the idea that it doesn't know what it's called, and when it comes up with a name for it, it literally is reading those dirty letters. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, like. Does that does that mean it has little? It sends those little probes out, and it's just reading it like ah, this looks like a. So we know it can read. Right? <laughs> it can't well, read well, and, but and, it can and read. Clearly, these advanced robotic creatures don't have any type of maintenance period because they don't like clean themselves or anything. Right. So they don't clean the satellite. They just read it. Well, these letters are spaced kind of funny, but that's what it says. <laughs> filthy, filthy robots. <laughs> Yeah, and oh. and if it was like a a better, more refined Star Trek plot that we would see, you know, long past this, that that whole twist would have been like like a second act break kind of thing where we would learn that and then we would move into the Denouement, and it would be using that information uh, to 
to complete the mission. But here it's like, it's held to the very last second. And then it's like, oh, now, you know, it, it shreds its own wires so that it doesn't have to go away. And now, you know, Deckard's just going to join it so that he can be with his zombie robot ex-girlfriend. It's just like, what is happening? The the wrap-up to all of this was just such, like, cluttered nonsense. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I mean, at the end of the day, the movie has beautiful models. All of the ships, including V'ger, are gorgeous. Uh, and the score is fantastic. Other than that, it's a boring, slow, choppy, inconsistent film. Yep. That it is. But it gave birth to a series of movies that, you know, fueled the rest of the Star Trek world that we know and love. So it's there's there's value to it, even if it is it's almost unwatchable. <laughs> that's well, that's true. the problem. It's, you know, there are genuinely bad movies on any genre. Um, superhero genre. I don't care for... I, yeah, like, the superhero genre is filled with them. I, no, I, I haven't met a single person that's like, Iron Man 3 is my favorite film of all time. Um... I hear that people love, you know, they love certain movies, but the motion picture, it's not a bad movie as much as it's a boring movie that feels incomplete. It's like they didn't finish a bunch of the story elements, so they just crammed in these 10 minute long visual segments. Or I'm like, you know, I, I love the, the three minute battle with the Borg and first contact more than any individual three minutes of the motion picture. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I just want to see ships firing, and that was cool. But it, it didn't go. But if it would have been an hour long, I'd been like, "All right, just get on with it already." Right? Like I would have, you know, the the crew was fine, the the set design and props and everything fine. the The thing the movie just fell apart from was direction and writing. the The script wasn't where it needed to be to be a motion picture, and the direction like it didn't have any direction. It was just like this ponderous, weird. You know, they just didn't know where it was going and clearly wasn't paced to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the Wrath of Khan, of course, redirected and brought conflict and, of course, Khan back and set Star Trek on the path that we would get for the next, you know, five movies um, before we went to the next generation. That's that's going to be another one that it's going to be weird for me to watch because I've obviously seen the, uh, you know, the second Star Trek movie of the rebooted Star Treks, which I guess is like a mirror version of... No, it is not. not. Okay. All right. In, into, dar- <laughs> into Darkness... Into Darkness is... I'm trying not to be too aggressive about it. I hate that movie. Whoa, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Derek on this. All right. I liked so, it more than the motion picture. Well, look, it's more entertaining, maybe, yeah. all right? But Into Darkness is ba- is a bad movie, and it's bad Star Trek. And if we could have a whole episode about Into Darkness, I, I, I could just talk for an hour I mean, about why I hate that We movie. certainly can. I mean, we we got a few so, weeks until Discovery comes back. It's true. It's true. You know, if you change the uniforms and you change the character names of Into Darkness and just make it adventure movie in space, it's a better film. But calling it Star Trek, I agree with Derek, it's not. It's not Star Trek. We're going to come back to Into Darkness because I think that, Greg, you're being too nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, we'll come back. I agree. We'll come back to that. All right, so we're coming up on an hour here. Are there any final thoughts, guys, on Star Trek The Motion Picture? Uh, it was nice to see real Klingons again after all of these Discovery episodes with bad Klingons.
Fair enough. I will, I will continue to insist that if you're, this isn't a must watch movie, but it's a must watch for fans of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing a Star Trek movie marathon, don't skip it. Watch it, suffer through it. Maybe skip certain parts. I still fast forward the transporter accident because it still just grosses me out. Yeah, if if um, you're doing a Star Trek movie marathon, use uh, the motion picture to prep all of your snacks and like make a bunch <laughs> of food and kind of get people into the house and seated. You know, don't pay too close attention to it. I I, I don't hate it quite that much. <laughs> uh, I do think it's it's essential for for Star Trek. Um, because it, it launched the future of the franchise. The franchise was essentially dead at this point. And if it wasn't for this movie and its financial success, the Wrath of Khan would not have happened. And for anybody that wants to fight me on that, the Wrath of Khan made less money in theaters than the motion picture did. So just just something to be aware of. Um, so it, it's an important film for Trek. It is not a great movie. It is a C-minus kind of film. But it is... Decent Star Trek mythology. So a little bit of a differing perspective on that for me as someone who had never watched it. Having now watched it, uh, I don't feel like this was ever missing from my my appreciation of, of Trek and, and the grander scheme of Trek. This Look, Jeremy, we, we all had to suffer. Now you can say you suffered. I guess, yeah. I, have, I can now bear the scars of my, my forefathers. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, then I guess we will wrap things up. If you are out there and you've watched the motion picture, let us know what you think of it. Let us know if you think that it is good or bad. Um, You can hit us up at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also go to HeroesPodcast.com and comment on the uh, individual episode. I was going to say, feel free to leave us a five-star review and tell me that I'm a, a fake Trekkie for not having watched any of the original series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, go leave us a review on iTunes. If you leave us a review, uh, we will read it on the show, as long as it's at least somewhat appropriate. And it doesn't have to be five stars, but we'll take it, of course. Uh, guys, how can people find you? I'm on Twitter at ZenMunkin, and I'm hosting another show on the network called The Saturday Morning Tooncast about cartoons and cereal. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel at yahoo.com and the same name at yahoo.com for my email address. And I am at the Star Trek Dude on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us, guys. We will catch you next time. Bosco Unit out. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.